Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Joining me today is Dr. Lakeisha Hallman, or as many people like to call her, Dr. Key. Dr. Key is the founder and CEO of the Village Market ATL, founded in 2016 to bring new consumers and national exposure to Black-owned businesses, ranging from nonprofits to other small businesses. The organization does this by providing spaces where people can attend trainings and workshops, receive mentorship, and be embraced by a community of like-minded entrepreneurs through weekend and quarterly marketplaces. Now, with COVID-19's impact on in-person engagements, the marketplace has gone digital, kind of like the rest of us, to preserve the safety of others while also still continuing the positive work of the organization. Dr. Key has dedicated over 15 years of her life to education, with special emphasis on the resiliency model, social and emotional learning, culturally relevant pedagogy, project-based learning, teacher burnout, and creating a positive work environment. Her expansive advocacy work has empowered learning environments for students and employees alike. And I'm so excited to speak with her today. And she's speaking to me from her home studio, and I'm speaking to you from my home studio. And I'm going to apologize to all of our listeners in advance, but there could be birds chirping, dogs barking, parents screaming at teenagers, teenagers screaming at parents, all sorts of shit could happen right now, but it's okay because we're in it together. Right, Dr. Key? Absolutely. We're in it together. I'm so excited, by the way. I'm excited too. So welcome officially to Brand on Purpose. And I hope you're staying healthy. You look healthy. We're able to see each other for anybody that doesn't know. We're using this cool technology called Squadcast and we can see each other. And I see your awesome smile. Yes, I am staying well, staying active and proactive, but truly, truly engaging in social distancing. Good. Good. And it sounds like we're going to have to be doing that for the foreseeable future. There's really no, it will end, but there's no end in sight right now. Right. No end in sight. And I think it's important that we start to grapple with that as best we can. You know, this is a new experience for all of us. It is. I've spent a whole career in crisis and issues management. And I like to say I've seen and done kind of everything at this point. And this is new, but uh, it doesn't mean that we can't beat it. So listen, before we talk about the current business kind of climate environment, I just want to take a step back. Tell me a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about the Village Market. The Village Market is on the top of our hall. We talk about passion projects. So the Village initially started as a passion project that turned into a business. I can share that initially when this vision of the Village was coming together that I thought it would be what it has become, I was deeply inspired by entrepreneurship, community, educators, everybody just sharing in a love space, sharing knowledge, sharing resources. And I feel like one day I looked up and I had a business with 1,500 entrepreneurs I've worked with and thousands of people at this point. But the sole purpose of the village market is to support Black-owned businesses and Black families. And you said it started as a passion project, and I'm incredibly envious that you can turn a passion project into a full-time job as well. I mean, that's like the nexus of life, right? And if you can reach that moment where you can, it's something you love and you believe in, and you can actually make a little bit of money and feed yourself and your family along the way. But what was the impetus for it? Where where did it all start? And when did you actually found the organization? I originally founded the Village Market in 2016. I am originally from Mississippi, now a proud resident of Atlanta, Georgia. So when I moved, things about Mississippi moved with me like with anyone else, I missed and longed for community. 
into just sharing a space that felt comfortable, the sharing a space that also had me in mind. And I would go to festivals. I love festivals. And Atlanta is a great city for it. But I would actually attend festivals and not see Black-owned businesses well represented. And as much as I enjoy going, it's sometimes very disheartening to not buy products that are sensitive to your personal needs. I looked at that model and I thought about all the things that I enjoyed. I enjoyed that people like me would come to festivals. And then I asked hard questions. I'm a researcher. So why is it absent of Black people? In a city like Atlanta, that is themed becoming uh, or is a thriving Black method. How is it possible some of our most lucrative, well-attended festivals are void of Black makers and artisans? And I didn't overthink it. I started master classes at my good friend's coffee shop, Urban Grind here in Atlanta. And I shared with her, I said, Cassandra, please let me use your coffee shop once a month. I'm going to create this class that I had no model for, by the way. And if people come to the class, they must buy from your coffee shop. So let's barter. But I know that I would get people there. And so my first class was on entrepreneurship. All the speakers were entrepreneurs. That's when I learned that entrepreneurs existed in Atlanta, that they were looking and longing for a place where customers would come and do more than window shop. And I did this pilot study for four months. And at the fourth month, I created the Village Market. Where'd you set up? Where was your first space in Atlanta? At the Forest Center. And that is a beautiful event space, historic space here in Atlanta. But I share, I had no idea what I was doing. It was my first time ever renting a space, learning about renter's insurance, all these things. I just wanted to find a space that was really nice, that would excite people because it was somewhere different. And I literally just went and talked to the owner. And I said, well, I need to rent the space. And I had to make up things as I went and pretend that I had all the answers and I didn't, but I just went for it. So I had literally about two months to fill a space that was, if I remember, about 6,000 square feet, which feels small to me now, but at that time, it was daunting. And how many businesses utilized that space at first? For the first market, it was 27 businesses. Wow. Every time someone signed up, I screamed. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that people signed up to actually become vendors. Then I knew I had to do a great job. But the night of the event, when patrons came, because this is, I didn't have a website. I didn't have an Instagram page and all those things now. I literally had word of mouth from the classes that I'd done in Urban Grind. And people came. The first market attracted a little bit over 500 people. I couldn't believe it. And they were buying, right? Not just browsing. They were They were buying the first market at that time. If I remember correctly, I think at the end payout, it was about $11,000 between small businesses. For the first market, I thought that was amazing, but I am quite the visionary for what I want. So I needed to put a goal before I had my next market. I wanted the next market that it was $30,000, but my goal was always to be able to, in one night, have at least $500,000 worth of sales being circulated. We've reached that several times at this point. That's amazing. And what types of goods are are being provided or being sold in these markets? I imagine it's very diverse, right? It is very, very diverse, purposely. So when you think of just everyday wears, cute t-shirts, 
body products, facial products, jewelry. We also integrate service providers inside as well. So for the local barber, the local esthetician, all of these people are inside of the marketplace. When I'm thinking of, and when I was creating the market, I wanted it to be a space. It didn't matter where you were in the world of small business or entrepreneurship, that there was a space for you. I wanted to like, show a, a cast a large net of what Black entrepreneurship and small business owners and what that meant. And are you finding that folks coming to the market themselves are is also very diverse in terms of the population? Yes. Initially, no. But in the last year, now it's more than Black people coming to the village market, which is amazing because that was always my goal. I looked at it when the other festivals that I would go to in Atlanta that I still go to. I looked at the festivals. I wouldn't say target necessarily Black entrepreneurships and makers, but anybody, everybody from all walks of life was coming to these markets. And that was my vision for the village market as well. And so now I can proudly say in 2019, we start to see the diversity. And that was when you have a vision of what you really wanted and to see it happen, it's just the coolest thing. Right, right. So it goes beyond just economic empowerment. It truly is a village. That's the other purpose here, right? It's the village is showing that what I truly believe that if we have an engaged community, then that community can self-sustain. That was another goal that I had. Any of us, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, it doesn't matter. We all come from a respected village. I wanted to humanize what that meant. And that means you know the maker, you know the person who's going to touch your hair, you know the chiropractor. And then when you refer, you don't think anything about, oh, I need to market another company. No, I want to tell you about this great person who cuts my lawn for me. And I think that's the way the village operates. It's so interesting to me because you talk about online businesses and obviously being online, especially right now, and being virtual is important, but it doesn't displace or replace that human connection that you're really tapping into right now. And that's so important and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Yeah, the human connection to me is what keeps us alive and thriving. It's the same feeling, the euphoria that I feel with nature. It's the same feeling when I'm around people I love who are all of like mind and like energy to do good. I wanted to, in 2016, we were deeply engaged with everything needed to be technology-based, e-commerce-based. We were pulled from things that I feel connects us to have a larger connection that was a lot quicker. You can talk to your friends. I talked to a friend the other night in Cape Town. In 2016, the goal for all businesses was how do I get this national, international footprint? And though I know how important that is, I kept feeling that if we keep thinking about being in a cyberspace, what will happen to our real community with people that you touch and sit next to and live next to every day, but never talk to them? Yeah, and not to get too political, One of my friends said that they appreciate that I'm not overly political on my podcast, except sometimes I get a little political. But 2016 also was tumult um, for a lot of us. A lot of us. So I'm just wondering, was that environment also, did it also kind of play into a little bit of your founding of the village market, just in terms of the level of animus was so great. And this is exact opposite. This is bringing people together and putting all that bullshit aside. I think in my life. I try to make sure that whatever I do tells a different story. So in 2016, emotionally, there was a lot of unrest. And it's what you said. People were 
pulling to their small communities to savage a space that felt like them. I wanted to remind people what love felt like, to think about things that's universal. When I created Support of the Verb is Universal. And when I was thinking about the village market and building the model as I went along, the first thing that when it was time to create a business plan, I said, I always just want people to feel that a space is created for them. Non-political, none of that stuff matters. And in 2016, those things were very prevalent because people were afraid. I wanted to create a space that was proactive, but I wasn't holding up a picket sign being angry with the times. I just wanted to create something that gives folks hope. Um, Very similar to a president that we had. And I thought a lot about past leadership and folks that deeply inspired me. And those past leaders always made people feel good, but it was also something tangible that people could hold on to as well. So 2016 for all of us, or for many of us rather, I should say, regardless of what side of the aisle you sat on, was full of animus and it got super ugly. I was wondering if that contributed to your desire to try to build something that also brought people together. You know, when I was thinking about the village, I don't know if I was at the same time consciously thinking about the emotional unrest of our country, but I am always deeply motivated to, if there is unrest, or a sense of discord that's breaking people apart, I'm always thinking ways to pull us together. This is something that stays at the forefront of my mind. It's important, or at least as important to me, especially then, and that's why I can say that initially wasn't a business model. I really wanted 2016 to be symbolic of what love felt like and getting back together with genuine connection. Yeah, I like that. Now, was this your first business? Because you're an educator by training, right? By training, yes. This was my first business. I will say that when I was maybe 14 or 15 years old, I take credit for creating my own tutoring company and summer babysitting company. I, so I tell people I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. But yes, by trade, I spent 15 years in education, initially as a classroom teacher to moving up to a leader in at a ninth grade academy here in Georgia, and then moving to the Georgia Department of Education as a researcher. Talk a little bit about this environment now. Like, how are you dealing? I mean, your entire business model is based on being physically present, right? Bringing all these people together. And, and I'm sure over the past several years, you have real connections with these business owners, right? This isn't just transactional anymore. This is beyond, right? This is very deeply human. This is your family. COVID-19, I think at the top of March, and March was probably the longest month in my entire life. We're just starting on April now. (laughs) Wait, just now? Yeah. (laughs) The second week of March is when I realized that it was some decisions that we would need to make. I didn't know at that time, though, that these may be short, long-term decisions. So the call that I had with my team I share with them that I believe COVID is a lot more serious than what the news is saying and what we're hearing. Because initially it was a lot of lightheartedness that it was, oh, it's just the flu. It's just this and all the just this things. And it became very serious rather quickly. I remember before the NBA made their announcement, I believe it was the NBA first. 
I that's when I told my team that we may have to think about canceling our larger village market event. We had an event scheduled the next day as well on March 29th, which was a lot smaller, and that we would still have that event. The next morning, I woke up to the NBA canceling. What I told my team, if a large company like this cancels for the entire season, this is a lot more aggressive than any of us can imagine. And I just made the executive decision that we will be canceling to uh, as long as we, we need. The next 48 hours, we had to contact 89 businesses, people who had purchased tickets to the event. And crafting the email to small businesses was probably one of the most difficult things I had to do. Not just the people who've been with us, but every contractor who we work with to create our shows. So we have at that time, 83 businesses who would have been vending, but every village market I contract, 19 black contractors um, to help build from lighting to anything you can imagine, um, props and things like that. DJs, sound guys. And one by one, I had to make my team and I those hard phone calls. The hard part of that was, it was especially one of the DJs was saying that they hated to answer when they saw the call coming because they knew it would be another cancellation. And so that was extremely disheartening. But when the NBA canceled, that was enough for me to understand that this is just something that none of us can quite understand and that we need to think safety first and to get people their money back as quickly as we could. Yeah. And talk about everyone that you're dealing with in your village, in your community, whether it's the folks who are the actual vendors or the folks who support, right, and actually help you create this experience. If they don't show up, they don't get paid, right? It's different. It's a different kind of business model. And we talk about small business and the impact of small business. How have you been able to either provide guidance, whether it's getting relief through the CARES Act or providing a virtual space for these folks, how have you really pivoted into, like, what did you call it, short-term, long-term mode? That's actually a really good way of saying it. That's the way we're all operating right now. And I totally get it. Every time a client calls me, it's either because they need help that's specific to this crisis, which we do a lot of, but part of me is like, oh my God, they're going to call to either terminate, pause, or delay something, and that's immediate, right? Short term, my primary concern was my own team that I have. And then secondly, the small businesses. Beyond creating a space that feels good, I created a space that has answered a need for thousands of small businesses at this point. Because what it means to be a part of the village is that now you're a part of a cohort where you've had months of training and then this big showcase where you know that capital will be injected into your company that night and beyond. To take that away in an instant and not confidently be able to say, oh, and we're going to do it again at this time. I had to sit with what did it really mean to pivot? And what's a pivot because of all these deep connections that we have? Like you said, the small business owners are, are not transactional for me. I know small business owners' kids and their husbands. I've been invited now to weddings. I've been invited to funerals. So I knew that with an engaged community that we could go digital 
I didn't know what digital would look like. Just like when I created the Village Market in 2016, I said that we were going to do it before we had to figure it out. And so when you put the pressure on yourself, you can do anything. Yeah. So we created the digital market, which is by far, I know I have gray hair now and some trauma behind it uh, because we're not, we're not a team full of developers, but to be able to create a digital market where the small businesses now have full access to their own dashboards and have built for some of them for the first time, an e-commerce presence. We were responsible in getting this launched in 14 days. When we released the digital market on this past Saturday, we had 78,000 views on the website. Wow. And just so everybody knows, how do we get to the digital market? Because I want people to start buying. Yes, please start buying. Please start buying. So the digital market is V as in village, mdigital.shop. VMdigital.shop. Yeah, vmdigital.shop is up and running now. It gave me every headache in the world because within 14 weeks, I had to create a new business. I didn't have to create a new community. I had to create a new business, though. But it's even harder than that because it's not just one business. It's a business of businesses. It's a family of families. That's fucking hard. (laughs) (laughs) It was hard is an understatement. It's an understatement. I shared a screenshot with one of my friends um, in New York. My team and I had been on a six-hour conference call on Thursday night, and it was four o'clock in the morning when I sent her the screenshot because we had to understand coding. We had to understand how to build this engine that we knew that. The beautiful thing about building and nurturing community, they follow you wherever you are. If it's an event space in Atlanta to now in the clouds, they're going to come because they believe in what you've created. But it was extremely and still extremely difficult to learn, get my brain to think about something new within 14 days and to make sure that it's actually running and viable. So I pass off to my incredible team, my incredible developer out in California. But it took 13 of us working around the clock for eight active days to build this site. And businesses have been extremely thankful. And the contractors from the DJs and things that we had to cancel, we contracted them to take over our IG Live to still have this whole musical experience. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to support restaurant owners like we would naturally do during the village market for the village cafe that we build. But we've been doing a lot of blah, letting people know, like, these are the small businesses that are serving curbside. And those things have gotten like 24,000 views and hits and people emailing us and said, I had no idea that these businesses are open. So we've had to take every model that was once in person and use that same level of enthuse about what this new life is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. And you said you had a developer working on it. So it's not like getting a Squarespace membership or a Wix. It's far more complicated. Just to be clear, it's not that easy. You built it from scratch then. We built this. Oh, absolutely. Which was, I've learned so much in ways because we didn't go buy, like you said, a Squarespace or Wix and all all those things are fine. But we also know that when we release something that a lot of people are going to support. So I had to make sure that the engine, the vehicle could actually run and that with the amount of traction that I knew that we were going to get, I couldn't take any shortcuts. When a time now that is Folks are grappling for anything 
to feel like there's a sense of hope, we couldn't fail. We had a very stressful phone call Friday night, and I'm sure every small business is experiencing this now. I told my developer and my team, we cannot fail at this. This has to be every, every I has to be dotted, every T has to be crossed. We cannot disappoint the community. What's the hardest decision you've had to make so far? The hardest decision is knowing that I have to cut back time from my team and release some contracts for um, on some people who've been working with me for quite some time now. That's hard. But if you think about our model, I was looking through our accounting records last night, actually, and we're at a 600% decline from where we were last year. So, yeah. But I know that small business owners, that this is a very scary, scary time. It's a scary time for me as well and for members of my team in the larger community. But we were able to pivot in a way that we never thought of before in 14 days. Where at a regular village market that happens quarterly, we'll see 3,500 to 3,600 people coming to shop within five hours. What happened on Saturday night was 78,000. If we allow this moment to, I tell people we have to surrender to where we are so we can start thinking differently. I stopped fighting that we couldn't have a village market. I stopped fighting that I wouldn't see all the thousand people get all the hugs that I would normally get. I just threw that out of the window when the decision was made. I had to think about what this new thing would be and what feeling I wanted to create from that. And I've just been moving in that direction. How are you keeping spirits high for the staff that are continuing to support you as well as your vendor partners that are part of this virtual market now? So one thing that I've done for my staff, and I'm always hesitant to talk about things like this because um, I don't do it to boast about, but... It's my job to ask. You stay humble and uh, I'm going to pull the boasting out. So go ahead. One of the things that I did for my staff, because we have weekly check-ins before we get into the business, all the weeds of business, I realized that they emotionally were not well personal things that's going on in their life that's outside of the work that we do for the village. And I purchased 15 hours of therapy for every person on my team. And what I share with them is that you don't have to tell me that you're using it. I need you to know that it's there. And I need them to be well. They can never work for the village again. That doesn't matter to me. I care about people. And for contractors, I've been pulling together resources of things that I know that's going on. I also looked at a lot of short-term jobs that's happening now that's been created. And I've been sending that out. But a lot of my time has been spent like this, talking and listening to entrepreneurs, helping them think of ways that they can pivot. But at the same time, I've been trying to make sure that I take good care of myself. I'm an avid cyclist. So I go outside every day. Yeah, I love it. I've cycled all over the world. And I make sure I spend time to myself, for myself every day, because just as everyone else's life changed in two weeks and their business changed in two weeks, that 600% decrease, I felt it in my being. I survive off public speaking and creating my markets. I can't do any of those things right now. And that's the reality for many people. The mental health component is so important. Some of these larger companies, and even my own agency, were owned by a larger entity, and we have these things called EAPs, Employee Assistance Program. So anytime, any time of day, you can just pick up the phone and call a number and talk to somebody within minutes. 
which is an amazing benefit. And it's part of a healthcare benefit that we provide. And I'm hopeful that people are taking it. I've been reminding people. I get a couple of eye rolls here and there. And like you said, you know, I don't need to know they're doing it. I just want them to know it's there. Because everybody could use a little bit of help. I don't care who you are, especially in this environment right now. And I'm glad to hear you also talk about cycling. I'm a cyclist as well. I don't know if you use Zwift or any of those. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm going to follow you on Zwift. You got to tell me what your handle is. I was in this ride on Sunday with a buddy of mine who's super competitive. We were in a ride with like 1,600 people. And it was the Israeli cycling team. And they were raising money for medical equipment. So every person that signs up for the ride, they donate money to secure medical equipment for first responders. It was really cool. And I didn't have the Zwift. You know, I'm in New York. It's a little bit colder. I've been out here and there, but I've been indoors. But if I didn't have that, I think I would go nuts. That's my outlet is basically fitness and physical fitness. The same. I don't know what I would do if the social gathering piece, I'm okay with. I'm a natural introvert. But if I couldn't go out and be active, like to inject myself with the self-care that actually fills me up, I don't know. I think that's why I've been at such peace because I can still go outside and ride my bike and go sit out by the lake. All these things that I would do normally, but I need them a lot more now. And don't you find, maybe it's just me, I'm not trying to get all like weird and emotional, but like I have been finding in this time that I'm appreciating smaller things more than ever. I mean, I've got two teenagers, two dogs, a wife, and lots of obligations. And this is the first time that I can recall that we've had at least five meals a a week together at dinner. And the only time when we're not is because they have online classes or what have you. And, you know, we're not totally at each other's throats yet. That might happen. It will be a little bit of that here and there because we're going to be together for much longer. But it is also really kind of nice. I mean, even though my son's freshman year of college was cut short, it is nice to be able to spend time with him and see him. But, uh, and I know this will end eventually, but there's some positive consequences. It's not to be insensitive or indelicate to those who've lost their lives and more who will, but it's just to try to reframe it in a little bit more of a positive way to help us. Because I think that's important too. Optimism over pessimism is very important right now. Mm -hmm. And this has been my approach of being very cautious to not appear insensitive um, because what's happening in the world is very painful. And we haven't even began to see what this will be. But because we know that we haven't, we're only on the threshold of COVID, we have to make sure our minds stay positive, that we hold on to those very, what seem to be very small moments. I FaceTimed with my nephew to read to him the other night. My first time ever FaceTime and reading, but I was so grateful that we had the internet. Things that we've had all this time now for years, but I was thankful because they don't live in Atlanta. And it's the small things such as that. It's like, I'm just so happy that I can still see them. I'm so happy that I can be a part of their life in this time that I can't go and hug them, but I can still read them bedtime stories and sing to them and things that I just would do if I take the four and a half hour drive to Mobile, Alabama to do. But I agree with you. I think we have to hold on to any optimism that we can find. It doesn't take away from the reality that we all feel. But if we stick to how, if we stick to the things that we see on the news every day and the harsh realities of people that we know that we're in direct connection to, I think we will all go into a sunken place and we have to be able to survive 
And mentally, the piece of understanding where your self-care is and how to source it is critical right now. I couldn't agree more. Now, and speaking of kind of being optimistic, when this is all said and done, I mean, the world is never going to be quite the same in the same way that it wasn't post 9-11, right? But when it does go back to some level of normalcy, I know the goal is obviously to start up the physical village, the presence again. Is it to also expand outside of Atlanta at some point? So I want to always have my headquarters be in Atlanta. I look at the model that Essence has. Essence was able to create not just culture in New Orleans, but commerce. And in one weekend, the amount of money that the city generates and, and how that impacts small businesses, it boosts their economy for months out. I want to be and do the same thing for Atlanta, because the truth of Atlanta is that it's still a city that is very clear, a clear divide between the have and the have nots. And so there are businesses, there are a ton of business owners. It doesn't mean that those business owners are successful. And if I can, and when the village market is back up and running in another layer, whatever this new existence is, I'm just going to accept it and and grow and, and be excited about it. But I want to be able to inject the economy and people feel it. They see their communities have changed because folks are actively going to small businesses and supporting. But we already have businesses coming from all over to be a part of the village market now. I just wanted that to grow in number. We formed a partnership with the Bahamas last year and there was 21 Bahamian businesses came from Nassau and Freeport to be a part of the village market. So those international partnerships, I would love for them to continuously grow. For days now, pretty much every day, I look around and I'm both disappointed and I'm also really heartened by human behavior, right? And I think that, you know, it's this old saying that crisis doesn't build character, it reveals it. And I think it's because of people like you, people like Dr. Fauci, Governor Cuomo, that's right, put you, Fauci and Cuomo all in the same sentence. You really see who true leaders are their metals tested in times of crisis. It's interesting, and you're probably experiencing this as well, to see who's reaching out to me to check in on me, both in my business as well as in my life, and who I don't hear from, and how they're acting. And I haven't had a whole lot of surprises, but I've had a few. I think we'll see more of that. That's really what happens in times like this. So I just want to thank you for your leadership, for some very courageous and difficult decisions that you've had to make. But I am absolutely convinced that months from now, when I check in on you and we talk again, that your business will be stronger than ever, even better than ever, and that you'll continue to make the great impact that you're making, not just physically, but virtually and in this new kind of hybridized environment. So I really appreciate you being on the show and for doing all that you do. Thank you, Aaron, so much. This was awesome, by the way. And I'm deeply appreciative that you create a space for people like me to tell our story because it tells the greatest story of other people as well. So I'm deeply grateful and I agree with you. Months ahead, many months ahead, I think I would have a more powerful story to tell you about the village and the village market. Well, look, we're going to do that. <laughs> All righty. Thank you. Be healthy. Be safe. The same. The same. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. 
follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast and learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Thank <laughs> you.